She tells us she went to this cafe and that she was sitting on a, on a booth and from behind her she heard this laugh, this, this very loud, free laugh. And she turned back and she saw my dad. And she was just, like she like she says that she felt like electricity in her entire body because of that laugh. Sometimes I wonder if I was born curious. <laughs> There's a certain inquiry that I love to follow. And look, over the years it's probably been dampened a little bit by multiple comments or situations or doubt in myself. And doing this podcast has really helped me to foster that again and recognise how important it is as part of who I need to be. I remember in school we entered into a challenge called the Tournament of the Minds. From memory, it involved a team of school students travelling on a bus, no doubt very loud for the driver, all the way up to Launceston, which is in the far south of Tasmania, and competing in challenges which developed our creativity and inquiry and encouraged teamwork and all sorts of other activities. While I can't remember the exact details, I remember the feeling of expansion and community and joining together in a massive hall with hundreds and hundreds of other students. My guest today has more than one curiosity and definitely more than one story. She shares an amazing immigration story of her parents who fell in love madly at 19 and 21 and still madly in love today. She shares the real honest truth about moments when life can surprise you and just has such a beautiful, humble and wonderful nature about her. I reckon she would have given me a run for my money at Tournament of Mines or been an absolute asset to have on my team. <laughs> I'm Linda Bonney and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. Alejandra, welcome to the community and thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to chat again. I'd actually chatted on your podcast last year, I believe now. And so it's really great to connect again across the other side of the world. I'm interested to dive into your parents and their immigration journey to start with. If you're happy to start there and then we'll develop the conversation, no doubt. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, Linda, again, like I said before, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always a joy, really. And yes, I'm Alejandra or Alex, if you're Spanishly challenged. Um, <laughs> and I am a service designer, podcaster, generally a creative human being and creative and curious human being who, yeah, it's currently in living in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, but doesn't know where she's going next. It's <laughs> like, like you mentioned, it's like really mine is an immigrant story. My migration has marked my family since long before I was born. My dad was born and raised in Ecuador from parents who were born and raised in Ecuador. But on my mom's side, uh, my great grandmother and my grandmother both left their countries to be with a person they loved. And my mom eventually did the same when my parents were 19 and 21. My oh, dad was wow. studying in Honduras. Yeah, he went to Honduras to get his engineering degree in agronomy. And me and my mom, they fell madly in love with each other. And yeah, my mom at the tender age of 19 decided to move to Ecuador, where my dad lived after my dad graduated from his degree. And, wow. and I want to like places in time for anybody who's listening to this there was no internet back then uh -huh. so it's not <laughs> like my mom could just call her mom or easily or send her a text and get a picture she 
took everything that she had, which essentially was just a suitcase and her pregnant belly, and moved to live with a completely new family in a country that she didn't know. She didn't know anybody there aside from my dad. And yeah, they're still to this day madly in love with each other. It's sometimes even annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and together they have carried on this immigrant journey. So they had my sisters and me. And then when I was 15, we moved to Mexico as a family for my dad's job. When I was 18, we moved to Germany. And then in 2014, they moved back to Ecuador for a few years before moving to the Netherlands. And in that time, I stayed in Germany, eventually became a German citizen. And when I was 26, I was... Like I was, I had moved around in, inside Germany as well. Like I lived in like four different cities and did a bunch of things and fin did my degree in graphic design, my technical degree. And then I was living and working in a city called Hamburg in north of Germany. We went to Hamburg. Yeah. Yes. I saw the pictures. Uh -huh. <laughs> Beautiful city. But yeah. something felt to me like it was missing. I wasn't really satisfied with, our, even though I, I love the company that I, where I work, I freelance for them from the Netherlands actually something was missing and I didn't know what so I decided to take advantage of the fact that I'm a German citizen and I'm allowed to move through Europe as I as I want and I decided to move to the Netherlands to pursue my BA um, uh, there I was starting my BA with 26 with all my classmates being 18 19 and 21 and yeah and then I settled here in Rotterdam I just finished my degree in July, like I graduated in July, and now I'm working in the Netherlands. I, I, I go back and forth between Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. It's and, been a journey. Oh, yes. I just want to, if you're happy to share, just the love story. So because this is something which fascinates me in many different conversations I've heard and had and no doubt we'll have into the future. How did your parents meet? That's a tale. That's a tale. Oh. And my parents love sharing it, so I'm sure that they would love to have it on the internet yes. because they have heard it 40 million times. <laughs> um, so the university my dad went to is called uh, El Zamorano. And it's a university in which you work and study at the same time. So if you're learning the theory of how to grow plants, you're half day, you're doing theory, half day, you're doing practice. And it's a very well-known university in Latin America. It's one of the best in the world for agronomy. And turns out that my mom's older brother also went to that university. So um, it was, and my grandfather, her father also went to that university And so it's it's part of our family culture going to that university. I have cousins there right now. Oh, and <laughs> of course, my mom being a flirty 18-year-old would go with her cousins and her sister to the university to, quote unquote, see her brother. But really, it was just like to check out what was happening there and be social, you know, like being yeah. like as, as young girls do. And she tells us she went to this cafe and that she was sitting on a, on a booth and from behind her, she heard this laugh, this, this very loud, free laugh. And mm -hmm. she turned back and she saw my dad. And she was just, like, she, like, she says that she felt like electricity on her entire body because of that laugh. Aww. And my dad, his entire life, he's been a very shy guy or he back then, like not, not anymore. Like back then he was very shy. And he had seen my mom and thought, like, she'll never, like, look at me twice or anything. And, like, yeah, they just saw each other. And my mom was intoxicated by his laugh. Uh -huh. And, yeah. Does he remember what he was laughing at at the time? He was laughing at one of, he was laughing at one of his friends who had a crush on my mom, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Ironic. <laughs> ironic. Isn't it ironic? Um, but yeah, and since then they have spent their almost every day laughing at it, laughing just together. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and how did they stay in touch then being, like you said, pre-internet era? Letters. Letters. Mm. Handwritten letters. So weirdly <gasps> enough, because it was the late 80s, early 90s, that school didn't have internet and they have like one phone for 120 students. Mm. 
Yeah. So it was very traumatic. And so phone wasn't an option, but uh, the letter carrier would go up to the university every day because he had to take letters from from the town, from the where my mom lived, to, to from the capital to the university. It was a normal route. So my mom would send my dad letters, uh, like little, like hands scribbled on anything. And that's actually how I found out that my older sister was not an accident. Because, oh, right. <laughs> uh, because in Honduras, you have to be 21 to get married. Right. And okay. my mom was 19. So you have to have permission from your parents in order to get married when you're 19. Mm-hmm. And when my, when my dad was getting close to finishing his degree, they both knew that if he left Honduras, he was, they were never going to see each other again. So they had to leave together. And they made the made the gamble and said, we want to get married. But my grandmother was never going to allow it. So mm. they planned to have a baby. And the letters prove it, that they're actually talking about it. Uh-huh. And yeah. <laughs> and then my, my grandmother wasn't going to let her first grandchild be born outside of wedlock. So they she gave in. And yeah, it worked out. Whoa, sneaky, risky plan. <laughs> the thing is that I have an 18-year-old sister now, and I keep telling them, that that struggle that you put my grandmothers through, that's going to come back somehow, and probably <laughs> on the youngest one. <laughs> yeah, because my dad went back to Ecuador. It's fun. My dad went back to Ecuador first, and my mom followed a couple months later. Yeah, and he just told like my he's the baby of the, he's the last of five, right. so he's the baby of the family. And he t- mm-hmm. just told my told my grandfather like, "Hey, Dad, so um, I got married, and my wife is coming to live with us in a few months." Oh, and she's pregnant, <laughs> and she's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and my grandfather was like, "Well, okay, that's something that you did. Cool. Don't tell your mother." Oh, because right. my my grandmother cried for like three days, like three days oh, straight. Wow. Wow. And now she loves my mom. She's my mom as another one of her daughters. But yeah. still, in, in that point, I can imagine the, the mm-hmm. emotional struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing what in many ways we do for love, you know, the things we do for love. There's that famous sort of term that I think of because they needed to find a way. And if exactly. That meant twisting or in planning or plotting or all sorts of things they needed to be able to do that (laughs) yeah it was really my mom's yeah it it was really my mom's stubbornness my mom's like hard-headedness being like I I want to do this I am sorry if it bugs you but I'm gonna do it and yeah but it wasn't easy um after my of course after my sister was born my when they moved to Ecuador my dad went to work at my grandfather's farm so he was gone Five days out of the week, you're so young, you're freshly married, you have a baby. It's a lot of things. So I am the product. I I am. It happens so that I am the product of one of those um, goodbyes of a goodbye session. All right. (laughs) Because they had even decided to separate. Wow. Like they had full on decided to separate. And my mom had moved back to Honduras with my older sister and pregnant with me. Just because it all all became too hard. Exactly. And it was when they were mm. apart that they realized it's hard to be together, but it's way harder to be apart. Mm. And that's when they went back and like my mom came back and they decided to make it work. My dad stopped working at my grandfather's farm and went and got a job in the city so they could be together every day. And yeah, that was definitely the right path because that made everything else later possible. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah, I, I have to say that I love that part of the story hmm. because I think many times we think that great love stories have to be perfect all the time. Hmm. But when I think of my parents, I think of it wasn't easy. They're not together because it's easy. They're together because they love each other and they're willing to put in the work. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I'm trying to think what was happening in the Ecuador environment around that time as well, I imagine there wouldn't have been a lot of stability perhaps. Um, oh, yeah. No, like a couple. Uh, a couple. So in Ecuador, we don't have our own currency, so we mm-hmm. use American dollars yeah. because our currency crashed. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a lot of 
struggles and strives. And I remember once we were walking around Rotterdam and I love having weird conversations with my dad. We go on the weirdest train of thought. <laughs> and I remember asking him, was it, was there ever a point in time that you doubted you were going to see my, uh, uh, my older sister and I as adults? Yeah. Like, was there ever a point in time that you said, oh, damn, like this, there's a chance that I, that I won't be able to see them grow up. And th he said like, yeah, of course we had a lot of political instability and we had a lot of struggle and the city wasn't safe. It's, it's those, just those things that the only thing that I could do is just make sure that you guys were safe every day and like take it day by day and just not let that fear consume me. And I thought like, wow, that must be so hard. Wise words and <laughs> very hard to put into practice and live every day as well, especially when there is that upheaval around you. And like you said, there's lots of things happening politically and just generally with people's own, sort of their own outlook can be very different. Not everybody is able yeah. to not let the fear consume them and everything like that. I know... Just coming back to the currency for a minute, um, the kids were really intrigued by the different currencies. <laughs> so they've got a little collection of uh, the Zloty was one that they really loved. Oh, that, yeah. The Polish um, money and the Czech money. The name's completely lost me right now, but they just loved the different. It's a Czech crown, I think. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And then we also, because we also travel through Singapore quickly as well, so they had Singaporean dollars and the difference between 1,000 zloty and 1 euro and, like, there were so many those beautiful <laughs> little simple moments which created great memories, yeah. but then there is a history behind them as well. Mm. Yes, I always found comfort. I don't know if you have seen Game of Thrones. Um, um not, yeah, just not a lot. It, it's it's fine. So there is, I like, I used to like it a lot. Then I got disappointed like most of fans. But there's this part in which the mother of the central family is in the middle of this war with her son. And she's looking at the window at this vista. And she's saying that it's hard to understand, like, they're in the middle of the world. But in some places, absolutely nothing is happening. And I think that's it, that in some places you see so much suffering, but maybe just 10 kilometers down the road, nothing is happening. And it's just finding a little bit of comfort. And if your home can be the place where nothing is happening, and if you can find, I think I think that's something that my dad says, that being with my mom, he was always like, and they, even if he had a terrible day of work, or even if he like he was struggling with something with whatever problems political or whatever that he can come home and know that there was going to be this oasis of peace that we were going to be safe and that that we were safe and taken care of and that was all that my that was my mom and that was my mom just being with us and making sure that we were okay all the time yeah so beautiful so <laughs> I am curious again, though, because how did yes. you end up in Mexico? If uh, thinking about that was my dad's job, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. What sort of work pulled him to Mexico from Ecuador? Yeah, well, my dad is a very curious person, so he's <laughs> he just loves asking questions and learning new things. So he has a very weird set of skills in the in the fact that he knows a lot about the coffee world. It's where he works in coffee from the industrialized side, from the sales side, from the growing side. Like he has a, a very round set of information in his head. <laughs> I don't know if that's a way of saying it. Encyclopedia. Um, yeah. yeah, he has an encyclopedia in his head, basically. <laughs> he also loves it. So it's great. He knows a lot about something he loves. And he just got called by a headhunter saying that there was this company in Mexico looking for somebody that wanted to become the general director of their company. And he thought it was a joke <laughs> and my and didn't even want to reply. And my mom said, just what's the harm? Just like, what's the harm in taking a meeting? What's the harm in talking to somebody? Worst case scenario, you make a good connection that you can use later for 
the company you're working now if if nothing happens. And yeah, again, my mom's wanting to wanting to push him mm-hmm. to follow his curiosity and to be all that he could be. So next thing we know, it's we're moving to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm. And then Germany was even weirder. Germany was an Iranian guy and an Iranian dude who made a lot of money in oil, I think, um, had bought a coffee factory in Germany. Right. And he needed somebody to run it. And the same headhunter told him about my dad. So uh, suddenly my dad was taking this meeting with this super rich guy saying like, yeah, so I have this coffee company in Iran. I cannot do business with German companies because uh, with European companies because of all the restrictions. So I bought one in Germany mm-hmm. and it's a mess and I need somebody who can run it. Wow. Just like and that. <laughs> just like that. Next thing we know, my and they asked and the question was, where do you want to live? Do you want to live in Iran or do you want to live in Germany? Mm. And my dad said, honestly, I have three daughters. I don't know if Iran is the best place for them. And because my older sister and I had gone to a German school, we already spoke German. Mm-hmm. So the choice was very clear, and that's how we made the jump to Europe. Yeah, wow. Huh. <laughs> yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah, it sounds curiously like a bit of a mystery tour in a way because I've spoken to some people who spent a lot of time moving around, as in 12 schools in 10 years or those sort of things. and. Mm-hmm. Often they hated it or they found it very unsettling in some ways. But, yeah, sort of, you know, there was a novelty there in other ways. But it sounds to me like it was almost this adventure that you were all going on. Yeah, we we always saw it as an adventure and we always, like, thought as long as we're together, we're going to be okay. Like, as long as we have our nuclear family, we're going to be fine. And... It was like, I remember when I was telling my colleagues that I had decided in like jumped to Germany, to Hamburg, like telling my colleagues that I had decided to, that I had applied to university in the Netherlands. They were so shocked. They were like, so you're going to, what happens if you get in? And I'm like, if I get in, then I move to the Netherlands. It's (laughs) simple as that. But you're going to move to the Netherlands, to another country? What? Even in Europe. Because even in Europe with a lot of cross traveling. Exactly. Wow. Because to them, they were people who had never like one of them still lived in the same street where she grew up. She like her parents lived down the road. The other one would go um was was from a small town uh the close to the Poland border and she would still go every weekend. Yeah. And the other one was born and raised in Hamburg and saw no need to move, but what I was telling them that after you do the first move, every other move is very easy mm. because you, you know that everything is going to be okay. You know that you're going to adapt. You know that you're going to be uncomfortable, but you're okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and was your mom working through this time as well? My mom did a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, um, like the fir- I, I think like she stayed at home with us, and she didn't like she didn't get the best English education in her school. Okay. So yeah. she took English courses until my sister and I were both in school all day, and then she got her bachelor's degree, and she was she was always saying that she she was the mom of the course uh-huh. because she was the only one that showed up with two daughters. <laughs> she. Um, there's a really funny story about my mom being in class and hearing the, a knock on the door. And it was my dad with my sister and me soaking wet because we had to go to a birthday party. And my mom had told my dad, they took a shower yesterday, uh-huh. so you don't need to wash their hair again. So they, I, I'm leaving them showered. Yep. Don't wash their hair again. Yep. And my dad did for some reason. Uh-huh. And <laughs> he didn't know how to brush our hairs. Oh, no. <laughs> so... Like my mom had to leave class, sit with him, or she like she tells us like your socks were crooked, the dresses were not buttoned up correctly. I had to fix everything and then go back to class. 
And that's where her classmates were like, you're like a mom, a mom. And she's like, yeah, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Uh-huh. And a husband, child sometimes. And a husband. To, <laughs> exactly. And a husband to take, and a husband to take care of. So all the... All the group meetings for our house, like I have very vivid memories of, of my mom's classmates, like gathered in what used to be like the TV room, the studio off dash office, yeah. um, just like working on projects and me just going asking, what are you doing? What is, what is this? Uh-huh. What is it? I'm saying like, please go to your room. Yeah. <laughs> please. We're trying. I, I cannot. We're, we're trying to focus here. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then she, when she got the degree, she was working as a researcher for a little bit for a newspaper, yep. um, like customer research. Mm-hmm. Then they made a construction company with my an aunt of mine in which they would like buy land, build a house and sell that house. Yeah. Then when we moved to Mexico, she took a job working at a school. She became a school teacher. And yeah, then in Germany, she was working at a flower shop while also learning German. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then here in the Netherlands, she's learning Dutch while also volunteering at an association for uh, freshly arrived Spanish speakers. Crazy. And where do you think some of that drive slash doing lots of bits of everything has come from. What was her upbringing like in, aside from you know, grandmothers and mothers and falling in, madly in love quite young? <laughs> Do you know I, much about I, her upbringing and, and your dad's too? Yeah, I know that. Uh, so my mom was the second oldest uh-huh. and my dad was the youngest. In my mom's case, her father, my grandfather died very young yeah. or died when... Actually, when my grandmother was pregnant with one of her brothers. And from then on, my grandmother was just really struggling to hold on. And she deals until this day with a lot of guilt about her sons growing up without a father. So she put so much attention into them that my mom, like she doesn't, she she has made peace with it. Like she knows that my Mm. grandmother did the best she could, but she felt like a little bit neglected by her. Mm. So... It was more of, if I want something, I have to go get it. I have to do it myself. Like, she always makes a fuss about birthdays for us. Like, every year, it was like we, she had to bring a cake for us at school so we could, like, have a birthday party with our friends at school. Then another cake on the weekend with my with our cousins and everything. And always make it special. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I learned that the reason that that was is because her birthdays were never special. Yeah. Because... For her, it was more than my grandmother would ask, what do you want for your birthday? Here's some money, go buy it. Mm. It's almost like a vow that we make. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So for her, it was more always this idea that if I want something, I have to go get it and I have to contribute and I have to try my hardest. So she kept pushing. She kept finding things that she could do to support us and to be proud of herself and find something to be busy with. Yeah. And to add value because she knew that my dad is going to provide the monetary value. What is she bringing in? What new opportunities she can find for us? If like the whole construction company came from how can we invest? How can we create a better future? How can we work through things? How can we, yeah, always asking how can I make things better for my family from where I am right now? Mm-hmm. And as to my dad, my dad on the other hand was the youngest of five. And for him, it was more like my my younger sister and I, we like uh, buying secondhand clothes. We just see it as a more sustainable option. Yeah. And my dad hates that. He says like, oh, why are you wearing like you, you should buy new things. And it's not because like he's a cap. It's like supporting even though like believes in capitalism. He's not like he supports it. It's just that for him when he was younger, the youngest of five, he always got hand-me-downs. Yeah. And he never got to have anything new. So for him, us not, us not having new things is something that he always worries about. And with all the instability that was happening in like Latin America, when he was born in 68, so in mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s, there was always this air of concern in his house about money. So he always wanted us to not have to worry about it. So I remember when, I, when they moved to Ecuador, and my older sister and I sit in Germany. Every time we talk, like, how are you doing with money? Like, how are you money-wise? Like, where, where are you? Uh, do you need money and everything? And it was, f- for me, very annoying 
thinking like, why is this always a topic that we have to talk about? Like, yes, we're fine. Like, what's your obsession with it? Hmm. And it wasn't until later that I understood this is the only way that he can protect me. Yeah. Like he's an ocean away. If I fall off my bike and I break my teeth, which actually happened two years ago, <laughs> he cannot take me to the dentist. He cannot give me a hug. He cannot do anything. The only thing that he can do is make sure that I am safe in the sense that if I need to go to the hospital that I have money for that, that I'm fed and that I have a roof over my head. That's it's the only thing that he can do. So mm. money was never about money. It was like, do you have everything you need right now to keep yourself safe? Because I cannot keep you safe right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how we do that as parents and siblings and family in general, family and friends, how different different distances sometimes can in a way create a need to feel like that we need to look after each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the way we can, yeah. in, in the way we can support others. Uh-huh. And in the sense like, for example, uh, my best friend here, so uh, her daughter is my goddaughter. Yeah. And being a new mom is not easy. Uh-uh. And I'm like, I can't do anything for you. I, I, it's, it's not my child. You're, I cannot help you with your parenting decisions. I cannot, I'm not going to take your child away from you. I, there's nothing. And like, she's, she's from Colombia. So she's away from her family Hmm. and her family has not yet met her daughter because they, they cannot come here and they have been not being able to go there with the baby. Yeah. And I remember one day when her daughter was like three months old, maybe I went to her house and while she and she was cooking and I was like, oh, just let me pick up the baby. And we like just stood in her kitchen chatting while she cooked and I was holding the baby. And I was like, is this okay for you? And she was like, you have no idea how much this is helping me because it's something. (laughs) (laughs) It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Especially culturally, because she said this is something that I would do with my mom or my sisters, mm-hmm. like just sitting around cooking, eating, like taking care of each other's kids. It's something that's so ingrained in our culture. I I remember when I was living in Germany, um, one of the conditions for me to get my citizenship in the time that I did was doing uh, social service. Yeah. And I went to this um, this organization that provided free babysitting services for new moms. So if uh, somebody gave birth in the hospital, they got a flyer. It's you can have two hours a week, a free babysitter. You don't have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. And that's where I learned that in German culture, you do it alone. In Latin America, you have your mom, you have aunts, you have uncles, you have sisters, siblings, that cousins that want to take care of kids. And that's how I grew up. We, like my cousins and I, we grew up in a bunch. So if my aunt had to work, she would drop off her daughter at our house and my mom would take care of all three of us. Or when my younger sister was born and my mom needed help, my aunt would come to our house to help her for a couple of hours. Yep. No questions, no complaints. Yeah, no questions mm-hmm. asked. It's 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 a pleasure. You're like, oh, yeah, I get to take care of a baby for a little bit. This is so fun. Mm-hmm. And in so German lost. culture, though... Yeah. They're alone. It's like usually parents live cities away so they cannot help or their own own only child. It's normal to be an only child in Germany. Yeah. So they don't have that network of support. So for my friend Edna, she was experiencing that. She was like, on one side, I know the situation that I'm in here in the Netherlands, but I also miss and wish I had the one that I had in that I would have had in Colombia, but she doesn't want to live in Colombia either. Yeah. So me saying, like, hey, do you want me to? Like, I think it was like three weeks ago. Do you want me to just take your daughter for a few hours? Like I can just like yep. just take her, go to the city center, have a few stuff to do. And I just did it. Yeah. And for her, it was that is having that network feeling, even if it's just me. And it is so much easier to chop onions with two hands rather than one while you're holding a baby. <laughs> it really <is>. Exactly. <laughs> to have someone exactly. stand or, there and hold <laughs> the yeah, little one while and, and you're just, cooking is just like <laughs> <laughs> Or having just somebody tell you that you're doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> having just somebody say like, oh, your baby looks so happy and healthy and you're doing a great job. Just Just hearing that 
that it's fine and it's going to be okay and yeah or sitting and watching a movie so i i remember once i went to her house and i she had never she's from colombia and she had never watched a movie encanto the new movie that's centered in colombia and i was like okay um you watch the movie i'll take care of the baby she's like what but <laughs> sitting down watching a movie i'm like yeah i'll i'll play with the baby on the floor right here and you can watch the movie and she was so shaken she was like what <laughs> how do i An do this again movie? i've forgotten how <laughs> explained it to me <laughs> Who are you and why are you in my house again? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that it's was so a great day and she loved the movie and she really mm. appreciated it. Mm. And once she got over the mom guilt, everything went great. Yeah. Yeah. So do any of your siblings have children yet? Um, my older sister is actually pregnant right now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's such a weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my my younger sister, thank God, God willing, she's gonna wait a few more years before yeah. getting pregnant. Yep. And and my <laughs> older sister, she got married this year, and they're already expecting their first kid. When when is that one? Uh, that's a good question. I think next year in July. Wow. No, so. no, that cannot be May. Ne next year in May. Yeah. yeah, it's a May baby. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's an exciting time and pregnancy is yes it really throws anything and everything it's very individual and very different for everybody I'm lucky enough to have very smooth uh pleasant pregnancies it's more of that after adjustment that I get hit hard with like you said trying to chop onions while holding babies <laughs> and feeling quite isolated or lonely in some ways as well so yeah it's an exciting time and how do you think your mum and dad will slot into that role of oh wow my dad cannot wait yeah. my dad calls it our baby oh. and I'm like it's not your baby stop calling it our baby like um she was telling us like how she's doing uh, uh she's having a lot of morning sickness and she's always tired mm -hmm. and I just I, I kept thinking to myself um you're tired now how are you gonna be when you're like eight months pregnant yep. like isn't this supposed to be the easy part and then uh -huh. my friend Edna told me like no the first three months are very hard because everything is shaping uh -huh. so yes. later it's growing but right now everything is being built and it drains you a lot and I'm like oh yeah I'm so ignorant <laughs> um but yeah my, my dad is so excited my mom is my mom is nervous yeah but because it's her baby and so it's her baby having a baby yeah. and it's a big she knows shift. yeah mm. she knows how hard it is and so she worries a lot my dad is more in the excitement of like she's having morning six and that like yes it's just my baby making sure that you know that it's there <laughs> and again it's not your baby yeah. well a little story share i didn't actually know i was pregnant for over three months because i don't wow. get those early signs luckily i think yeah my sister gets hit with all of it <laughs> however yeah it's um and that's also a really weird feeling because then all of a sudden you're You've missed out on a third of this little human baby inside you. <laughs> so that's Jesus. also strange in itself. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it. I think it's it's making a human. Yeah, it's making a human. That's that's what um a lot of my friends right now are actually pregnant or having kids. It's really weird that everything is happening around me, and I am somebody that gets a lot of anxiety around pregnant people. Okay. Mm. Um, I, I I just get an a sense of overprotection. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, I remember like one of my um one of my friends. Uh, she was a yoga teacher, so she would teach yoga just in her sports bra and her leggings, and just flash her belly. Uh -huh, right. <laughs> and the entire time I was looking at her, I was thinking, I I'm not ready. What if it pops out right now? <laughs> it's I don't, I don't know what to do. Do I call? Do Do I help you? How do I help you? I don't know how to do this. And just um. like having those redundant thoughts that make no sense. Um, 
but yeah, and I, my friend Edna, then when she was pregnant, she will like later in the pregnancy, she would wear a poncho around me to make me feel more comfortable, oh. which really helped. <laughs> it's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a sense of overprotection, and now thinking that oh my god, when I see my sister next, it's gonna be in December for Christmas. She's gonna be like really pregnant, mm. and it's going to be so weird. Mm. But yeah, they're just all having kids around me, and I just think wow, you guys are like making people. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking right here and there's a third person in this conversation because there's a person inside of you. Yeah, This is so strange. <laughs> it, it still like freaks me out, the concept. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever wonder why? Well, I've thought about it. And the thing is that I remember my mom being pregnant. I was 12, my younger sister was born. Mm. So I strongly remember her being pregnant. And... I remember like her morning sickness and I remember how scared she was because she was 34 when she had my sister. And that's already an age when you're like her doctor told her from the beginning, there was a high risk pregnancy mm-hmm. and she needed to have a procedure done while she was pregnant with my sister. So the entire time she was really scared, like she would climb upstairs and hold her belly or we would take certain streets so we didn't have to go through very bumpy roads to avoid it because she was very scared. Mm -hmm. So I think I got this sense of I need to keep her safe or I, or she's like, logically I know that she wasn't in danger, but she felt it. So I felt it too. So when then, when I see somebody pregnant in the same situation, I think like, are they safe? Are they okay? And and yeah, it's it's just that. And yeah, therapy helps. Like th- talking like I, I discovered this when I was like because I'm in therapy and I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Mm. So yep. yeah, that's how I figured that one out. Yeah. And also, you know, that puberty time of your life as well. So that adds a whole new mix of hormones and understanding and yes. <laughs> questions and <laughs> everything else like that as well. Mm. Mm. Yes, but look, I think that protection for me, for my children, is definitely still there, even after the pregnancy, even (laughs) as they're 10 and riding down the hill on the bike with, you know, (laughs) outbreaking or anything. So there's, yeah, it does stick around for me. Yeah, I, I, I say with my younger sister, like she's 18 now. And she just started university on Monday, actually. Yeah. And like she told me yesterday, we were watching a movie. It was like 9 p.m. And she tells me, my my friends just texted me they want to go out tonight. And I thought, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> we'll go, what? What? You want to go out on a Tuesday? Yeah. Why? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And I'm like, well, first of all, why are you asking my permission? Yeah. <laughs> and second of all, um... No, I guess <laughs> it's like I, I I don't think like I I don't think that I can keep you in the house either. I mean, you're not a prisoner here. You're free to come and go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she went and she came back at two a.m. I guess. Mm. But I I woke up like at one eighteen. Like I remember I woke up exactly at one eighteen, thinking like, where is she? Where is she going? Like texting her, being like, I how are you doing? Are you having fun? Are you on your way back? Remember that we said 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, uh, I know we live in a very safe city. I know that she's going to be okay. But still, part of me thinks, what if she crosses the street wrong? Yeah. I, I like start developing all these scenarios in my head. She went on a trip to Croatia with her friends, like a graduation trip at the end of June. And I was freaking out the entire time. It's like, I want to be supportive. I want you to have fun. I know that I was doing way more dangerous things when I was younger. Yep. But still, it's like, I don't want you to do it. It's like, do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. Um, but she went and she had a lot of she had a lot of fun and she's also having a lot of fun right now. And like yesterday out. And that's also the thing that I know that when I was her age, I was doing things that were way more dangerous mm-hmm. and I was fine. And in a way more dangerous place because I was living in Mexico back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this conflict of yeah, I love you and I want to keep you safe, but also I want you to enjoy life. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. Really it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so because you moved around a lot and because you had mm-hmm. that ethnicity in your your parents and generations before you. 
Tell me, let's circle back to food for a second. And yes. the Sunday roast and your memories of your favorite memories of Sunday roasts. If oh, it's it's sometimes very hard to pinpoint. <laughs> But yeah. tell, tell me what that looked like for you. Did that change as you changed different uh, countries and locations or ages or uh, all sorts of – there's all sorts of things that can impact that. But was there always – it sounds like your family's quite close as well. So yes. tell me about some of those Sunday roast memories. Yeah, so we don't have Sunday rolls. Like we eat, we like we have lunches. Like Sunday lunch, my entire life since I was since I have memory, when we were living in Ecuador, we spent every single Sunday at my grandmother's house, and it was all my dad's siblings that lived in Ecuador, um, like the, with their kids, and it was just like us running around playing around. Uh, we would choose like, do we want to have Chinese food today? Chinese food for twenty or, um, like like barbecue for 20 or Kentucky fried chicken for 20. And it was just such an adventure. It was just being with my cousins, with my aunts and uncles. And always after lunch, we had this, like, we, we call it the soda mesa, which is where you stick on the table, you stay in the table, but you're not eating anymore. Yeah. Maybe you're yep. having a coffee or something, mm-hmm. but you're just chatting. And the most conflictful annoying conversations sometimes like interesting yet conflictful discussing arguing debates and so on and I always enjoy that yeah <laughs> and like I remember uh, we have like in where in my city where I come in my home city we have a lot it's a swamp so it, it used to be a swamp area before it became a city so we have this type of crabs that only live there and it's a very traditional food. So I think if from when I was little, my favorite memory has to be um, my family deciding that we, that's what we we're going to have for lunch on Sunday. So it was going to the market, buying the crabs, but we buy them alive, all tied up, and then you have to open it. And my dad would open them and let them run wild. And it was the job of the kids, a.k.a. us, to grab to catch them. Oh, and then that's, uh, that's they would be killed and washed. brilliant idea. Like, I know. kids, go, go, so yeah. we can sit down and have a drink. And <laughs> exactly. They would be killed and washed. And then we had to bring them to the moms so they could, like, finish cleaning them and cook them. And then wow. it's such a... It's a hand meal, so you don't, you eat, you basically eat it with your hands. So you get a hammer and a little board, and you have to. I think it's maybe like you eat lobster, yeah, kind of. Yep. Uh, but these are crabs, yep. and yeah, with a salad and with rice, and it was always very tasty. And it's just like this experience of sitting all together talking while eating this very traditional thing. Like we don't use tablecloths for that; we use um, newspaper instead of tablecloths because when you hit it, it's gonna. Exp- splash so you don't want it to splash a fabric because yeah. it's a, a crustacean in the end yeah. <laughs> um but yeah then then when i got older and we moved to mexico those we still do it we still do it a lot uh but just with my parents and my sisters and it was the same thing even if we're all living together it was like on sunday we're going to like nobody makes plans because we're going to do family day and in germany we continue doing it and even when my parents moved to Ecuador and it was just my sister and me in Germany, we would still like meet up to do like Sunday lunch. And now with with my family a little bit more scattered, we still do it and we still like spend like Sundays are family days for us. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like even now, um, so currently my parents are in Mexico and my sister is in Germany. Oh, so wow. we have our little Skype dates. Like we talk during the entire week through WhatsApp, but we have our Skype call. Yep. We do that on Sundays. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's such a great tradition to carry on as well, not only to keep that connected family, but for next generations. And that puts a whole new dimension on the excitement and anticipation i'm sure it might be more than once a week <laughs> exactly now that um now that my cousins in ecuador are having kids as well like i said everybody's popping children um like they're saying that it go it takes everybody back to when we were all little because mm-hmm. you suddenly have again little kids in the house yeah and it's just like watching them play or doing things together um one of my eldest cousins lives in belgium and sometimes we go visit her 
we stay over like of course until Sundays because Sundays are family days and we talk about like how she used to put on shows or she would talk us all little cousins or teach us choreographies and force the parents to watch this messed up little shows like like sit down everybody let's organize this for 30 minutes just so you can see us dance a three-minute song <laughs> yep <laughs> just to make it funny and keep us entertained so it was just like all those all those little memories and now we can share with like now i share with her kids and they're like what <laughs> no she would never and i'm like nope she did i'm still scarred <laughs> yep <laughs> amazing what memories stick around as well <laughs> totally uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me and your time and conversation and oh so many stories i'm sure we've only really scratched the surface in many of these <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah thank you for letting me share it's it's like it's a nice time to just sit down and reminisce yeah. feels really nice yeah it's really important and you're not alone in the gratitude of that because so often in these especially in the podcasting world, as you know, these mm -hmm. conversations revolve around perhaps what we're putting out into the world or business sense or all sorts of other aspects to that. But actually the story behind is a little bit lost still in taking time, spending time for those nostalgic memories to filter through. So, yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> I think so too, especially now, like personally for myself, because I'm currently going through a breakup oh, no. and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's really nice to like, like it's that point in which you think like, did I do the right thing? Mm -hmm. um, do I, I, in missing him? And yeah. it just was nice to, like to take a time to go back and think, oh, there are so many stages of happiness, like in life and there's so many things to look back on and there are also a lot of things to look forward to yeah definitely thank you <laughs> thank you for having me i didn't actually think that this project would go quite so global <laughs> it really is so wonderful to have connected conversations over many continents and seas and all sorts of things I do hope that you also enjoyed the stories within the stories within the stories just as much as I did, piquing your curiosity and driving your imagination to all sorts of places that you may not have experienced for a little while. Here's another conversation which I absolutely loved. Michelle, who I had the pleasure of sitting down with to have such a rich and deep conversation. Let's take a quick listen. Well, okay. I met my husband at a retail store. I was a hair stylist and he had come in to get a haircut. Had asked me out. I told him, no, I've got, you know, I'm working a couple of jobs. I ain't got time to be dealing with no men. <laughs> and so, um, I actually cut his hair longer on one side and in the process of him leaving and the next day before he came back, my manager overheard our conversation and she goes, girl, you need to quit all this working and you need to go out and have some fun. So I did not deliberately cut his hair longer on one side. It was an accident. But when he came in and I feel like that was just God's way of, um, putting him back in my life again he came and said hey you um left one side of my hair longer on one side and I go oh well my trick worked you came back to hear more about current projects and the book please head over to lindabonnie.com and I gladly welcome you to the community thank you so much for joining us mm -hmm.